This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, when pain says no, chronic illness representation in speculative fiction. And this week we are delighted to welcome back Laura Larkso, who was last with us three or nearly four years ago. <laughs> so we all lost time thanks to COVID. Uh, Laura, thank you for coming back and joining us again. Thank you for having me. Just a reminder for those of you who um, may not remember from that episode, which is quite some time ago, uh, Laura is the author of the paranormal crime slash urban fantasy series Wild Investigations. Um, so, in fact, and rather than me talk about it, let's get Laura to talk a little bit about that herself, because uh, you've had quite a few more books in the series, and I think the last time we spoke to you was just after the first book, Fallible Justice, came out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I have now had four novels, or written four novels for it. The fourth one is actually coming out uh, on 31st of October, Halloween, so yeah. tomorrow. Uh, and I also wrote a sideways novella that was published last year that fits in between books three and four. Uh, it's called The Doves in the Dining Room. It, you don't need to have read the other books, but it does help because you actually know who the characters are. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And they are uh, the series follows a private investigator called Yania Wild, who is one of the wild folk uh, who are a magical race who can channel nature and borrow elements of nature like borrowing the ears of a bat to hear better or the oh. nose of a fox to smell something and she lives in a magical version of modern day London where she, she solves crimes with her bird shaman apprentice Carrion who is a goth and pigeons love him and he is, does not <laughs> love pigeons and a whole host of other characters who come and go because they're all wonderful and I couldn't just have them as one off people <laughs> um, I, I feel you there. A note on Karen, who is one of my favourite characters. Um, the first time we meet him, he's literally shouting "fuck off" to a pigeon <laughs> <laughs> because the pigeon does not fit his aesthetic. So. Yeah, there's it's more true. horrible things to come when it comes to pigeons than Karen. I'm not a nice person. <laughs> I also feel like I should probably car- clarify that because. Because of the episode, uh, Yania suffers from Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, so she has a chronic illness, or chronic pain and joint stability condition that she lives with every day, and um, although she has magic, she can't do anything about her illness. You know, she can't magically wave a wand and cure it. Mm. So uh, she is living with it and managing it in exactly the same way as anyone who who didn't have magic would do it mm-hmm. yeah so it's the oh sorry carry on man. what i was gonna say it's a it's a connective tissue disorder isn't it yes yeah can you tell us a little bit more about it just so uh some of the people who kind of you know how does it manifest what's the kind of you know what are the sort of symptoms of it you know the kind of pain that she has to go through yeah so um there are i think there are 13 subtypes under the mm-hmm. EDS umbrella, but uh, Yania has the hypermobile type, which is also what I have. Mm-hmm. And essentially, it uh, it alters the collagen in the body, and it means that joints aren't supported properly. 
So it leads to lots of joint dislocations and subluxations and therefore, amazingly enough, a lot of pain, chronic pain. Yeah. Uh, and there are a whole host of other symptoms, um, fatigue, and uh, you could often have IBS-type symptoms because there's collagen in the uh, all, all manner of organs. Right. And it, it, it's, a, it's an incurable condition. You can only manage it. Some people have it so bad that they're in a wheelchair or, or even bed-bound, and mm-hmm. some people can live more or less normal life but it's you you need to constantly manage it and you need to be capable of managing the dislocations and the subluxations and all the kind of injuries that come with it okay yeah and it's um what i find one of the things i find really interesting for yanni is the fact that she comes from as you say the wild folk the wild folk live in quite a quite a secular society of their own and they don't really mix with what we would consider the modern world very much so a lot of what Yania is having to do is choose between you know her people and her heritage and modern pain medicine (laughs) yeah um which is not fun (laughs) um okay Uh, thank you very much um for explaining that so, yes, yeah, so you're on the fourth book now, or the fourth book will be out soon, which is Wildest Hunger. And there seems to be, it's you know, in book series, there's quite often like a pivot point book where something, the, the character, the feel of the character kind of changes. Well, I suppose in the third book, um, Yania had kind of undergone something towards the end of the third book, without spoilers, obviously. And she's a lot, so to me, she seemed a lot angrier in the fourth book or a lot more openly angry like um she finally had space to process things yes yeah and that is actually a trend that continues um the fifth book is you know i keep saying this is the darkest book yet the fifth book is even darker than the the fourth one which perhaps gives you jaws a flavor of what's to come but she is i i deliberately wanted to make sure that the truth and consequences are very apparent so that you don't just gloss over what happened in the previous book and it really impacts the characters uh, throughout the series. Uh, and it's the same with Carrion, actually. He's, he was severely traumatised by what happened in the third book and the true extent of that damage hasn't even become fully apparent in the fourth book yet, but it will be. Yeah. Oh, that's ominous, so thank you for that. <laughs> well, Louise has already told me that if I kill off Carrie and she's going to kill me, and I, I just smiled sweetly and said that there are death, fates worse than death that I can inflict on my characters, and I think she's going to kill me anyway. <laughs> that is always the thing, it's like, oh, death. No, death would be a relief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we must protect Carrie. Um, okay. But, but yeah, I think the other thing is that I, I kind of like is... Um, Yania's ongoing character arc is obviously she's come from this very enclosed background and she's learned to move with the modern world if you like or with the non-magical world as much as possible Um, because wild folk aren't really suitable to to living alongside the modern world really not at all no um so the fact that it the fact that she's had to make this this big change within herself means that she's questioning perhaps a lot of her upbringing and a lot of the 
the received wisdom of her people as well, which is an uncomfortable position to be in. I mean, imagine, you, it, uh, I guess it's a bit like um, being brought up strict Roman Catholic, which I was, and mm. at certain points you either embrace it or you have to start really questioning everything that that comes with it. Yeah. Um, but this is a lot more extreme because it's like the entire way of life. Yeah, but I mean, uh, obviously I deliberately made it that secular because I wanted her to question it. And it's absolutely right that she should be asking those questions. Um, but what really pleases me, although I wrote it so technically I should have seen it coming, is how throughout the series, Darren is also starting to question some of it. Although, you know, he's been brought up equally secular. It's mm, through Yanir's yeah. experience of the outside world. He too is starting to think about whether their way of life is right and correct for all members of the conclaves. Yeah. yeah. And it's the question of whether or not you evolve or you allow your society to evolve because anything that doesn't evolve ultimately is kind of doomed to failure. But at which point do you start losing your identity or your, your people's identity as well? So, yeah, it, it's a lot of difficult questions with not very easy answers most of it. Yeah, yeah. And there is actually a parallel there, I think, with also people suffering from chronic pain or suffering, you know, from disability, in that there is, there's a, you know, there's a culture that goes also behind, uh, you know, being part of those sort of groups. And uh, the way that actually also sometimes that culture is, you know, people can gatekeep it and stuff like that. But also that if, for example, you have a certain, uh, you know, a certain disability, for example, and you choose to seek medication for it, um, you know, for example, if, if you are deaf, but there is actually an, op an option to allow you to um, be able to hear, you know, sometimes there's this kind of, well, you're betraying the community that you're part of or that you... And I, when I say this, it's not necessarily always the people within the community, but there is, you know, there's the whole weird culture that kind of goes on top and around it um, and is often sort of weirdly kind of enforced by the people outside of it. Um, of yes, your betraying the community suffering thing isn't it yeah you're you're ashamed of of being this you know by doing this you're trying to say that other the people who who don't have that are lesser etc um and i think that it's quite an interesting parallel as well because it kind of also points to the fact that everybody is an individual if you're part of any kind of group you are still an individual who's within that group which means that your personal needs might be totally aligned with what the kind of the group does. It might be totally aligned with, with where you are, or it might actually be, no, I need to kind of be a little bit out of this group or I need to kind of mix a little bit or etc. cetera. Um, and it goes a long way to show that we are individuals. We are not stereotypes or perfect ideals. Yeah not necessarily defined by you know a chronic illness for example or any other mm. identity marker i think that's part of the problem as well is the fact that um there is a conflation between a condition or a disability and an identity and it's mm. actually it's kind of just part of who and what you are it's not the entirety yeah absolutely yeah 
Okay, so let's move on to our main discussion. Obviously, Laura is clearly a good person to include on this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of representing uh, chronic illness in speculative fiction. And we are trying to focus on chronic illness today. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, you know, as I said, we, we have done disability and stuff like that. So if you did want to find out more about those things, you can check out some of our uh, previous sort of episodes. Though, of course, there is crossover because sometimes disability can result in chronic illness or chronic illness can itself be defined as a disability. Um, and again, depending with neurodivergence, there is, again, uh, portions which will result in sort of some kinds of chronic illness, chronic pain, etc. Um, so, uh, as a very loose definition, um, for people who are like, hold on, hang on a second, I'm confused, um, because even the medical world can't entirely agree on a precise definition of what chronic illness is. Uh, chronic illness is an illness that goes on for more than a year and requires ongoing medical attention and or reassessment of lifestyle. Yeah, and it is unfortunately a very loose definition because chronic illness obviously means different things to different people with different illnesses it's it's one of the problems with umbrella terms really yeah um but um yeah not all chronically ill people are disabled and not all disabled people are chronically ill and mm -hmm. it's important not to just conflate the two so i'm gonna really try very hard not to do that today yeah now, um, of course as we've said there is some crossover as well yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, th I think there's something I will mention is that there seems to be kind of like an affliction top trumps. And again, this isn't always within the, the group itself. Sometimes this is on the outside whereby mm -hmm. it's like my suffering is worse than your suffering or her suffering is worse than his suffering. And it's just like that's really not helpful. And also a lot of the times it's not it's not relevant. So maybe we can just let people use the terms that fit best for them. I yeah. once got absolutely bollocked online by... <laughs> by someone who I assume was very well-meaning because I referred to myself as an epileptic. Mm -hmm. I didn't refer to anybody else as an epileptic, but I'm not, a, I don't have a problem with using that word to describe myself as a shorthand. Yeah. Um, and this person just went absolutely nuts and told me I could not talk about myself that way. And I was yeah. just sort of left looking at this post, scratching my head going, I, I genuinely don't know what thread to pull on there because there's so much wrong with the way you're approaching this yeah but i don't know where to start yeah i've had a very similar experience because i occasionally called myself a cripple particularly when i've managed to dislocate a hip and a, a collarbone at the same time and have to be walking with a cane and a a, a sling and i just looked like i'm about to fall fall to pieces i would mm. never ever call someone else a cripple yeah. because it would be horrible but at some point when i'm in that much pain and that decrepit i just I use it as a almost a humorous defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it's one of those things as well in that it, it shows actually how language kind of evolves because um, and actually sort of shows something I think a little bit sinister underneath it because if we say someone is crippled, um, you know, it means that that something has been done to them or something has occurred to them which has caused them uh, difficulty to move, to walk, etc. Yeah. Mm. Um, and um, we then, if if we then use the word cripple in, in its meaning, then it, it would technically mean, of course, just someone who um, has difficulty moving because of some of some reason. Um, uh, we also use it, you know, if you if you cripple someone 
in another form, you know, you can you can cripple their their confidence or something like that. You've you've basically uh, undermined it, um, which has stopped it being able to kind of move forward. Uh, and then this word itself has come to have obviously very negative associations, despite the fact that it should. And again, I understand that there's a difference between what it technically means and what it it has come to mean and um, actually means for people. Um, but it should just mean someone who is you know, who has difficulty walking or moving, etc. It shouldn't be a bad word, and yet it is because of all the negative connotations that has been associated with it, whereby it was flung as an insult, you know? Um, and I'm sure that there is a lot more to it than that. And again, this is not me saying, therefore, it's okay to use. It's me pointing out how um, we've had this equation of people being lesser than or people being you know inherently um uh, bad because of of you know uh, because of a chronic illness or because of a disability that they have there's been so much negative connotations put through that which means that every every now and again a new word will come up a new word and slowly that will also then i think does tend to also then become like a bad thing and it continues yeah and quite a lot of them i mean obviously not the word cripple but other words um, yeah actually start off as medical terminology and sometimes they start off as medical terminology at a time when medicine isn't actually being very sympathetic in the way it's portraying something and yeah. yeah you should probably retire those terms and use something else instead but at other times it's a case of no this literally just meant this and this whole bunch of people who probably really don't understand the nuance of it in medical terms have just taken it to mean a slur word yeah <laughs> it's, and, um, it's and, very frustrating yeah and have used it as a slur word i mean for example um the R word, um, I, I will say, you know, retardation uh, did start out as a kind of a medical term and sort of explaining what it was. And this was a word that was, you know, flung and associated with me, for example, throughout my childhood and stuff like that, because and other people like me, because we had learning disabilities. So we were slow minded as it were. Of course, people then turn around and said, well, that's not it at all. And it's a word that's kind of been retired. But of course, it then came to kind of mean an idiot. Um, and it, it really sort of, it put this negative idea on, um, on, the, on people and, and kind of said, if you have sort of learning difficulties, if you're, you know, this way and that way, you are inherently worse off you are inherently a, a bad thing it's it's you know it's an insult and again this is not me saying therefore we should use the word because i really really don't like it again because it was aimed at me for a lot of the time but you can kind of see how the language has developed and how it it shows the inherent um bias against people with chronic illness and disability yeah Okay, um, let's move on to why the whole sort of we've come off we've come off the tracks a little bit a bit earlier. Yeah. Um, but let's go back to why chronic illness is actually relevant to speculative fiction. Um, yeah. There's there are actually several reasons, but number one is that strangely enough, chronically ill people like myself like science fiction and fantasy too, and would occasionally like to see a main character who represents them in some way. Yeah, <laughs> it's the easiest the easiest reason. Yeah. Um, 
and I think you know that because of its very nature, science fiction, fantasy, horror, all the other subgenres and everything, it's um, one of the worst genre offenders when it comes to doing things like erasing chronic illness and disability. Hmm. Yeah, uh, because I... on one hand you've got the the science fiction, but this is the future. Society is technologically advanced, so that no one with chronic illness would be born in the first place. And it's like when you really sit and think about that very disturbing you eugenics type future yeah it's like i don't think anyone should really be comfortable with that it it is it's this weird thing because you know certainly medicine you know nowadays has meant that there are certain things which would have ailed people in the past that no longer kind of will ail them but actually if you look at with with regards to what is you know most of the kind of um the chronic sort of illnesses and stuff like that 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 we see today they've been around for a very long time and it's not so much that they've just been stopped it's that we now are able to treat them for example asthma a very common chronic disease um for the most it's not that we just go boop and stop it before it occurs it's not that we've eradicated it people are born with asthma all the time or people develop asthma um later on in life um but there are treatments for it. And so the death rate for people who have asthma or, or the suffering that they have, it has kind of decreased massively. And so this, this situation, particularly in sci-fi, where they're like, we've just eradicated it. I'm like, there's actually very few sort of chronic illnesses that we have e even now sort of eradicated from the past. But there are quite a few that we've actually sort of learned how to manage better or, you know, how to treat. Yeah, because they're um, at the moment trying to figure out whether there is a gene behind chronic fatigue syndrome or ME yeah. uh, mm -hmm. that they're currently uh, trying to get DNA samples from people with ME. Mm -hmm. uh, I know because I took part in that study. Um, but ME is a perfect example of what you said, Madeline, because it's, uh, it's thought to be triggered by viral infection most of the time. So some people get a virus... Uh, and they, they're totally fine, and then occasionally people end up with chronic fatigue syndrome. And ha would you kill those people from birth because they have a gene that makes them predisposed towards possibly getting an illness later in life? It's mad. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and the, the other thing, of it, thing is that people will then, you know, when it comes to this argument, they'll then try and go to the extreme the other way. Um, and, you know, they'll have situations whereby it's like a, no 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 um you know we we can't sort of show uh people being treated for these uh for, for chronic illness or anything like that or we've kind of got to keep it etc um because actually uh disabled people or people with chronic illness um you know want to have it and i'm like no like if I think we, all three of us have got a chronic illness. I'm pretty sure that if someone came up with something and said, hey, we've actually got this for you, you take it once and you will never have to suffer these horrific symptoms. We can actually stop the chronic illness and you can just get on with your life. I mean, I would certainly be pretty happy with that um, because it, it would certainly make quality of life much better for me um there are some people who'd say actually you know i wouldn't want to do that and i think in certain areas you know for example if someone said something similar in terms of 
my neurodivergence, I might say, actually, no, because I like the way I think. Um, and some people wouldn't want to get rid of, rid of that. But a lot of people, particularly those who are suffering from massive chronic pain, would go, actually, yeah, I wouldn't mind not constantly being in pain. So it's not about saying, um, no, we have to have these um, because uh, people want them. Um, it's actually about saying, no, but we've kind of got to understand that um, when you're writing fiction for the modern audience, the modern audience deserve to see themselves being represented. Um, and cool. you can still show ways in which, you know, if you said something in the future, for example, you could show fantastic ways in which um, conditions are being managed, which are a little bit different, without totally just eradicating them or saying, no, we, we, we ended that. We stopped people having this condition, particularly because, you know, unless you can back it up with a certain level of science, it does just... It, it does kind of imply that the way that it was stopped was just we uh, we kind of just stopped fetuses that had that predilection kind of being born into existence. And again, it starts to be it's the eugenics kind of side of it. Um, yeah, I mean, that is the really disturbing thing. Obviously, the fantasy answer is clearly that but we have magic. They wouldn't need wheelchairs or walking sticks. No one would be in pain all the time because magic. <laughs> which is at best um, incredibly lazy world building, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it always got me that, um, you know, a lot of the time, and I hate to bring it up, but one of the things I kind of got frustrated with J.K. Rowling early on was basically that they didn't have a lot of kind of disabilities and problems and stuff like that, because she basically said, well, they, they wouldn't need to do it, they'd have magic. And I turn around and say, yeah, but Harry wears glasses the entire time. Do they... Do they not have magic? Like, they're constantly fixing his glasses. It's consistently a problem that he has. And I'm like, if they had this kind of magic which could just, you know, straight away correct any kind of chronic illness or, 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 or just, I say correct, but you know what I mean. Um, if they just eradicate any chronic illness, eradicate any disability, etc., then why on earth do they not have something as simple as being able to, you know, to... to to change someone's sight or vision when we even now in the modern day have kind of laser eye surgery and stuff like that which can which can do it in certain sort of instances and it demonstrated just a it, it was totally lazy um it, it hadn't been thought through it was just a kind of a throwaway well they hadn't and she clearly hadn't really thought about it yeah what i will say though in fairness to rowling is the fact that she did actually have magic cause complications so it's more like if you were a magic user you got removed from the, the modern world and you didn't really have modern world problems because they were easily curable however yeah. some of the magic problems um you know the illnesses and uh, injuries and things that you would get via magic use you know were, you were pretty much stuck with so she kind of just took one set of issues and then magicized them if that's even a word and sort of did it that way Whereas yeah. I've actually seen far worse examples where it's literally kind of like, well, we've got magic, it's inconvenient for me to think about this, ergo, it doesn't exist, yeah. um, which kind of bugs me. And I have to say, it's the same, I think, in science fiction, um, mm -hmm. whereby, okay, yes, you might, I mean, in the same way that we don't tend generally to have children who suffer from rickets, because generally women who are breastfeeding now mm -hmm. um, have good nutrition, ergo, their children don't tend to 
develop rickets. Um, yeah. And if they don't, you know, if the women aren't able to breastfeed for whatever reason, you have good baby formula and things, which makes up for the nutritional deficiencies. Mm-hmm. So you would have may have eradicated certain diseases and things, or may have, you know, driven them back, like we kind of did with smallpox. However, yeah. um, there are, you, you know, if you're talking about really technologically advanced society, there's going to be other issues. I mean, think about this whole sort of. Elon Musk wanting to be able to put chips in people's brains so that they can <laughs> yeah. downloadable consciousnesses. Can you think about the sheer sort of psychic load that would give somebody? You know, you've, they've downloaded the consciousness, they're suddenly in a completely new body. Think yeah. about the anxiety, the depression, the sense of dislocation. There'll be new diseases, new problems. So yeah. the whole sort of like we all live in utopian perfect health society is just not going to work for me, I'm afraid. Yeah, absolutely. That came up the... Um, the a consciousness thing came up in the Bobbyverse, We Are Legend, We Are Bob books, mm. where I think it's by Dennis E. Taylor, where uh, a dude has his body cryogenically preserved and then he's woken up, I think it's about 100 years in the future, uh, where the church has taken over USA and, and has basically confiscated everything that he had, including him. And he's now the property of the church and has been put into a von Neumann probe and sent to explore the universe. And I think he was the only one of the, or one of the few candidates who was kind of stuck into this probe who actually managed to get through the process and stay sane because, you know, suddenly you've got no body yeah. and mm-hmm. so on. That's really, so it's kind of like Anne McCaffrey's The Ship Who Sang series, whereby. Uh, the child was born severely physically disabled, but the brain was perfect. So the brain and the ship were kind of melded together. So it's a human brain controlling this this ship. And it's like, it's kind of cool. And then you really think about it. It's very, very disturbing because she develops feelings for the captain who lives inside the ship. And (laughs) it's like, it's very, very definite sci-fi of its time, whereby like you have to include these things if you're a female author. Yeah, and I think Anne McCaffrey was kind of fighting against them a bit, but um, yeah, it, it's disturbing. But it does at least ask some of those questions. Yeah, you also look at some of the chronic illnesses that people have developed to date. There are chronic illnesses which have been developed as a cause of people getting COVID. You know, where they it's we call it long COVID, but it's a chronic illness essentially, where because they had COVID, they are now living with kind of long term symptoms, and for some, you know, that might be for the rest of their life. Um, For others, it it might just come and go. Uh, And so even if you do have a fantasy or a sci-fi setting with other worlds, other creatures, etc., that doesn't mean you can't then... Perhaps they have... Perhaps in a a sci-fi world, they have actually got cures for all of the sort of the known sort of, um, you know, Earth illnesses and stuff like that. Um, But, you know, new diseases and new, (laughs) new things like that appear all the time. So if they're off in space and they're off having sex with other aliens and stuff like that, or just meeting them, or... The, no, you know, not... <laughs> <laughs> so, sort of, uh, what's it, sort of, uh, uh, xenobiological sexually transmitted diseases. Yeah. Like, okay, I don't really want to open that can of worms, but yeah, that's very disturbing. You know, but, you alien know, STDs. Alien yeah. STDs, but also, you know, if they go to an alien planet, they see an alien, they eat, they, they cook, they kill, they cook the alien, let's say it's a little animal sort of Thing, you know, you could still in the same way end up creating a new kind of virus, which again could cause, um, you know, a new new forms of disability. And you can say, oh, but they're so advanced, they'd be able to. It's like, yeah, but that's the thing is, you know, 
people are limited by what they know and the resources they have. If you go somewhere completely new and there's this whole other thing you've got to deal with, you don't know what you're dealing with and it does take time. And by then, you know, people might still be living with the consequences of it. So it kind of also doesn't make sense to just sort of say, well, we're going to kind of completely erase that. Because even though we've been living with most of the, you know, animals uh, that are on the planet now for a very long time, we're still managing to create <laughs> new strains of things of which we yeah. don't have vaccines uh, from the things that we've been living alongside for a long time. So it kind of just goes to show that you can't just say, right, well, we're going to say this is now impossible because we have magic or we have technology because new things appear all the time and they have long lasting consequences. Yeah. Uh, okay, moving us on a bit because we're getting sidetracked. <laughs> um, me as much as anyone else. Um, so let's have a look at this. So I want to bring Laura in on this one because mm -hmm. I want, basically I think it's probably going to be similar to my perspective, but I'm very interested in what she's got to say. And it's why would you want to include a chronically ill character or a chronically ill main character? Um, from my perspective, the reason I've done so is because I think have you know your ability to interact with the world and the limits physically placed upon you by a, a chronic illness sort of shape and inform who you are as a person and there are perspectives that you would have as a chronically ill person which you're just generally not shared by those who are not chronically ill and it just kind of gives you this um a, again a, a difference a different opinion a different perspective on how the world works and things and i always find that interesting i mean we talk about diversity on dissecting dragons a lot but what we're really talking about is diversity of thought not a tick box exercise mm. and that diversity of thought should also in my opinion include people who were not you know considered the norm in terms of health so what do you think laura do you yeah i mean um i agree with with you but i must admit part of the reason why i gave yania the same conditions i have and it's an extremely selfish reason is that I've never been very good at explaining what it's like to live with chronic pain. Like, if mm. you asked me what it's like to be sick, I would make a, a slight offhand joke and move the conversation on, and that would be that. Whereas through the book, I was actually able to explain my world yeah, and, and say, well, this is what it is, and this no. is all the things that... Um, I have to think about and all the different ways that uh, that it impacts my life and um, uh, particularly in um, in Echo Murder, the second book and in Wilder's Tonga uh, I talk about the impact on sex life, having chronic yeah. illness you know, if you've got dislocating hips it's a bit awkward yeah. to have sex and it, you know, you never talk about that normally and it mm. would never occur to someone who isn't ill to even think about that but it's a fact of life for someone with a connective tissue disorder and I think mm. it's so important to kind of get that word out there and I I, <clears throat> I hope that by doing it through the series I, I can get it across without being preachy because I don't need to preach to anyone uh, yeah. but it does help educate people on, on what that life is like No, I mean I, com I completely agree with that. Um, one of the I say epilepsy. In my case, it's temporal lobe epilepsy, and it's um, partial complex seizures, which are not the seizures that are generally depicted on television because they'd be quite difficult to depict. 
but it kind of interferes with your ability to perceive reality at its worst. Um, it also comes with sleep disorder and um, chronic pain in the form of headaches. So I don't remember what it's like to have to not have a headache, which sounds like a really dramatic way of saying it. And if anyone asks me about it, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'm fine. Because I am fine, because this is the level that I normally live at. If I'm not fine, if I actually say I've got a headache, I'm kind of like eight or nine on the pain scale by that point. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I mean, I can't remember what it's like to not be in pain. I, I've been in constant pain for so many years now. And if I go to work and I am physically in pain, it's going to be on the kind of eight, nine, again, on my pain scale. And um, often my colleagues kind of look at me funny and go, well, if you're in that much pain, why don't you just go home and take a sick day? And I'm like, well, it's just pain. I can manage it. It's like, why it's would like I because... take a day off just for this? Mm. Yes, because I would always be absent from work if I did that. You know? Yeah. Like, You've got a headache, you should go home. I, I don't go home unless I physically can't see out of one eye. <laughs> you know? yeah. That's what... And it is, it's interesting as well because um, when you're kind of writing sort of characters with chronic illness and stuff like that, you tend to really see, for me, the books that I've read where I've really seen a character who's written very well in terms of having chronic illness, the author either has the chronic illness, they know or they're very close to someone who has that illness, or they have seriously done their due diligence in terms of kind of researching it. Um, or they have some other kind of chronic illness and kind of have the sort of understand a little bit of the experience of it. Because um, particularly when it comes to pain and the way that you're describing it and things like that and the, the sort of the everyday inconveniences, um, people tend to think of pain as being, you know, like a, a, a stop start, um, you know, a uh, it's either kind of like a, a it's a barrier of some kind rather than just being a kind of a terrain that most that people with chronic illness are, are constantly just kind of walking over uh, if you think of someone who doesn't have chronic chronic illness as just walking down a, a straight you know flat path someone with chronic illness is kind of walking um you know up and down little hills and stuff like that and if the person who has a you know um let's say both of them are walking and the person without chronic illness is walking down a path and suddenly they, you know, I don't know, they have an accident which causes them to, um, you know, um, injure their knee um, in a way that is going to heal, but will just take time. Um, they've kind of got a little barrier that they've got to go over. And that's a big barrier because it, it, it you know, it's a difference between the, the kind of the terrain that they've already been walking, which has been very narrow, um, and the one, and now the the thing, the obstacle they have to get over. Um, whereas someone who's kind of got a chronic illness, if they have the same thing, yes, it's a barrier. It's on top of the terrain that they're already doing. But in terms of the pain, they'd be like, well, the barrier is no greater than the other barriers um, that I've kind of already had to sort of walk up. And for me, understanding pain, I used to think, well, I must be a total wuss because I just, I, I just seem to be in pain so much of the time from things that, you know, they're saying I shouldn't be in pain about. Um, and when I had a very, very bad injury um, to actually to my knee, weirdly enough, um, I remember the pain being such that uh, I, at first when I felt the pain initially, I went, I just swore a little bit and then stopped and went, no, I actually think I need to scream, screamed and turned around and went, okay, well, that's done now. And it was a very logical 
Um, and afterwards, I find myself in pain with the usual kind of stuff that I deal with. And I'd be like, mm, it's pretty much on the same level. Um, and that was when I understood that the threshold of my pain, um, it, it wasn't actually about me being a wuss. It was about the fact that I was in pain more often than other people and that the level of pain I was on was higher than other people. Um, and that if I, you know, I then now actually had a point of comparison where, where I could say, it's like snapping a ligament. This is what it feels like, <laughs> you know, not the exact same kind of pain, but the same sort of level. And it completely changed my understanding. Um, and, one of, and one of the things that's very hard to kind of to convey, it's very hard to convey that um, unless you kind of really do have experience of it or you have really done your research, which is why when you read stuff where you've got characters who are just kind of going through life in pain, but that doesn't stop them, you actually really do understand this, that the person has done their diligence, that, that this is what the reality of living with any kind of chronic illness is actually yeah. like. Yeah, I must admit, I would feel extremely nervous about trying to convey a condition, uh, particularly a complex pain and injury condition, mm. if I didn't have either have it or if I didn't know someone very close who had it. Uh, mm. Because I don't want to, that's not the kind of thing I would ever want to get wrong. Mm. Because no, how disrespectful would that be to the people who've got that condition? Yeah. Um. A final thought for reasons you might want to include a chronic, chronically ill character. Um, it, it can be part of a great story arc, which, you know, that sounds really callous when I say it like that. But obviously, when I write it, um, I, I always thought, God, God, do I, am I, it was when I was writing on Veil, it's like, am I, am I giving M headaches just because I've got a headache all the time? Um, but no, actually, it just means that there's this one extra thing. So, you know, you can have a hero who's got to go off and slay the dragon or whatever. Mm. Um, hopefully not, but, you know, assuming that's what that story arc is about. And the other thing, <laughs> before they can even slay the dragon, they've got to work out, have they got the energy to get to the place in the first place? Do they need to deal with their pain first or can is it a manageable pain day? So it's kind of, uh, you, you have to deal with the day-to-day -day annoyance or inconvenience of moving through a world which, you know, it's not quite designed for you. Just... You know, and that's not a complaint, by the way, either. It's just a case of that's that's how it is, unfortunately. Um, yeah, and it sometimes and, means that they actually have to do things a bit differently because they, they've got to yeah. approach things differently because of whatever. And I, I just think it can be really interesting to look at how different people have to, to manage their own, you know, physical and internal resources and things. Um, and that can actually make for a great character arc and good storytelling. So... I'm not talking about like profiting off somebody else's pain, but in terms of like a good, well-rounded character, that can be an aspect that that's worth exploring. Yeah, yeah. It's... I mean, it for me it worked very well for Yania because obviously if you've got a PI, the the cliches that they're a bit alcoholic and kind of in trouble with the law because they keep yeah. doing dodgy things, which admittedly she does occasionally do. <laughs> um, but it gave her a. a gave her character a complication that she has to deal with continuously but it's different from your average one yeah yeah um i also think of you know kaz brecker obviously uh in the the grisha series in the um crooked kingdom and and uh, six of crows uh it says that kaz broke his leg when he was younger um and even though it has healed he now has 
chronic pain within his leg, um, which he's just going to have for the rest of his life. Um, and the two kind of defining things about Kaz in terms of his look is the fact, obviously, his gloves and his cane, um, which he walks around with the entire time. And this cane is also now like a weapon as well as a statement piece. Um, and obviously, uh, Leah Bardugo, she also has problems, I think, with her leg. Um, it wasn't, it's, she has a, an actual condition. So she talks about the fact that she and Kaz were limping through the story together. Um, <laughs> And again, she kind of made it just part of his character. And it means that there are moments where, like when his cane gets sort of removed, he, he re- he's thinking about how much he wants it because it has become so much of, of not just a symbol, a symbol of actually helping him stay steady and helping to relieve the pain, but also in confidence, it's his weapon, etc. Um, there's so many things tied in with it. And ultimately, that doesn't actually stop his main character arc, nor is it actually really the part of his larger trauma, but it is a central part of, of his character regardless. So I thought that that was done very well. Yeah. Okay, let's look at a few things that you should probably not ever do with a chronically ill or disabled character. Yeah. Um, and bear in mind that with these things, there are always exceptions to the rules where yeah. someone has done it in a smart way. So we're not saying never, ever, ever, but we're saying consider these things um, and consider why you're doing them. (laughs) Yes, definitely. So um, we talked about the magic cure, the fantastic scientific breakthrough. Again, not saying never, but it's kind of disrespectful to give a character a condition of some kind and then magically cure it at the end of the book. Yeah. Um, But you can, a a way that they actually did this well was that they had uh, Geordie, in obviously this is not chronic illness it was Geordie was blind um in um next generation and there was actually i think they did actually have then um something they could do which would actually uh restore his sight but he didn't want to go through with it um he had his visor yes it did cause him some chronic pain um but he didn't actually want to take do the surgery because he was actually kind of okay with the way that he was and actually found um, that his visor and stuff like that gave him an edge, you know, in other respects. He, he liked it, he worked with it, even if it did cause him some occasional problems. So this is a case where, oh, there was actually a, a sort of a, a breakthrough, there was a, a, a cure, she says in inverted commas, but um, it wasn't a, and therefore everybody would automatically want it, and it wasn't a, this immediately solves everything and the main character's going to have it and therefore live happily ever after. Yeah. Uh, this next one kind of bugs me. This is the one where you get to the end of the film and the character who has had this condition all the way through throws the medication away at the conclusion because it was all in their head all along. Um, you get this in The Goonies. I don't know if you guys remember The Goonies, the film, but the character with asthma all the way, you know, he's had pretty bad asthma all the way through. He's had his inhaler with him. He gets to the end of the film having, you know, kissed the girl, helped rescue whoever, etc., etc. And then he stares out of the sea and then flings his inhaler into the ocean. And you're like, dude, you've still got asthma. <laughs> you might have found out you could do a lot more than you thought you could do. But actually, you do actually need that medication. Yeah, it, they do the same thing with things like, uh, it's like actually the whole time you were taking a placebo, you weren't actually taking real medication, you know, that you thought was helping you. It was just a, a sugar pill. Um, it was all in your head, which shows that you don't actually need it. Um, that always annoys me. Um, because I think, you know, there is different examples where the placebo effect does work. And there are times where people can be over medicated because actually 
they have symptoms which aren't related to a medical condition but are related to something else which isn't being treated um, but the the way that it's kind of just sort of normalized as so you throw away all your all your medication because it was actually a shackle and once you're happy you suddenly you don't have chronic illness anymore like um, i don't think it works like that <laughs> yeah, yeah and you see it also with um perhaps more with uh mental health issues like anxiety where yeah. someone's been uh, medical or provided with medication for it and then they just go nope i'm not going to take it because i'm going to power true because i'm a man yeah yeah um or that you know it dulls you or, or means that if you're taking it you're not actually being true to yourself um and look we can certainly say that there are cases where certain chronic illnesses can actually be you know managed treated with um, with changes in your life by environmental changes, by changes to diet, etc. Um, these things can happen, but it is on a case by case basis. It is also subject to what people can actually do because it's incredibly, you know, it's a bit classist to basically assume that everybody can automatically jump to a completely different lifestyle uh, where they're where they're doing lots of things like you know dedicating lots of time to to certain types of cooking, dedicating lots of time to certain types of exercise, etc. Because, okay, but what about the work they need to do? You always show these montage of, you see them studying, you see them at the gym, you see them doing these multiple things. And I'm like, that can't actually be very healthy because you never really, sh they, they're always shown to be barely sleeping or sleeping, in, you know, on the spot yeah. or stuff like that. And I'm like, this is not continuous. They've, they, you know, this is, they're actually tend to just be showing these sort of fad diets, which are not you can't continue. And so that's not actually a treatment if you have a chronic illness because it doesn't just go away and then never come back. Um, yeah. You have to be able to maintain these things. So the whole medication thing, just, I don't understand it. Um, okay, other things you probably shouldn't do. Infantilizing. This is a weird one because I think this sort of stems out of, for someone who doesn't have a chronic illness or you know they, do, they don't suffer from depression or anxiety or something, Perhaps the hardest thing for that person to do is just sit and be with somebody who does suffer with that condition because they want to fix it. And they want to fix it because we are generally an, an empathetic species and we don't like suffering by proxy. Mm. So there is a certain amount of selfish motive involved, but there is a certain amount of compassionate motive involved. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, part of the reason I suppose I don't really talk about being in pain is because I know it's not something someone else can fix so it makes other people feel bad and um, you probably have the same thing Laura yes um, but th there's this sort of tre trend in particularly fandoms where they have a disabled character or uh, a character with a chronic illness and you know the fans go oh we love this person they're kind and they're suffering and it, it sort of falls into the beautiful suffering trope whereby they, they make them this precious little character who they sort of exaggerate everything and it becomes the only aspect of that character's personality it's in sort of a babyfied way it's really disturbing does anyone know what i'm talking about yeah, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about it's good it's, good. <laughs> it's also like the robbing of the it's like oh we can't tell them certain things or we can't argue with them because they're xyz um and again I, I just remember certain experiences, particularly, this happens particularly for people who have any kind of chronic illness, which very much shows kind of physically. So, um, you know, when my, in the last few years of my mother's life, 
she the her illness and stuff like that it was really showing you could see the effects it was having on her body not least because she was in a wheelchair and stuff like that this was a woman who you know was highly educated incredibly smart um but was having a little bit of difficulty she couldn't speak properly because just it, it was all of the kind of all of the functions were sort of shutting down she couldn't speak properly she couldn't see properly so her eyes would be vacant and would be looking away she wasn't able to enunciate properly or speak etc um and sometimes she'd have trouble hearing or understanding particularly if you know if she was on certain medications which might also kind of um you know make her tired etc and people would then sort of come and they'd sort of they, they'd come up and they would never address her they would never speak to her they would speak to me about any serious things you know like oh you need to go and do stuff like that or um you should be aware of that they'd address all the adult kind of stuff i say in inverted commas to me or whoever was pushing the wheelchair um and then to her it would just be all sort of oh how are you oh yes that's a lovely dress and it was very much like um she's she's an adult woman you you don't need to you know she, she you can't sort of treat her like she's um you know unable to deal with the realities of the world or that she's like a 5 year old cuz she's not um and it's something that you frequently see and for the the short time that I had to be in a wheelchair following my surgery I I had weirdly I got the exact same thing where people would either just really not want to engage or would immediately kind of just sort of ignore um or start to speak to me in certain tones um and it just it was very very strange and it's become such a trend that you see all the time and i think the problem is that people genuinely think they're doing the right or the kind thing instead of actually really sort of thinking about the fact that you're speaking to often a person um yeah. you know and 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 an adult and even if they have some sort of mental um you know disability uh that doesn't mean that you can't talk to them you know as a as a person or as an adult you might just have to you know change certain approaches to things uh okay so not bothering to research a condition or taking the hollywood version at face value um this this is kind of a bugbear of mine because it, it happens less now in fairness but certainly for a long time there there if you listen to hollywood there was only one version of epilepsy and that was the version where you had uh full complex tonic clonic seizures and you fell on the floor and you'd foam at the mouth and you'd thrash around and um but somehow none of them ever sort of wet themselves or anything like that no none of them ever grabbed somebody else and broke their arm which by the way is a common thing to happen when never tr- anyone tries to restrain someone having a full tonic clonic seizure as mm. in the person having the seizure will be fine the person trying to restrain them is very likely to get a bone broken because that's how strong they are during the seizure yeah so yeah that's always bugged me um and i i just again it's the kind of laziness thing and any sort of lazy writing really pisses me off so mm. that's why i'm mentioning that one yeah it's it's as you say it's the lack of research it's also the there's only one kind of thing and you get that obviously as you said with epilepsy you get it on so many other levels as well um i mean you even get it with asthma and stuff like that it's like if you have a character who suffers from asthma they always suffer from the exact same kind of asthma um and 
you never see them having an asthma plan. You never see them all the different types, you know, the different medications that you might need. Um, the you know, and the fact that some people will need an inhaler very often, all the time, um, and will have special, you know, stuff. And some people will o actually only need it very occasionally, or might only need it seasonally, or during certain exercise, etc. Um, and I think they go, they try to go for the the biggest drama without it being an inconvenient drama, if that makes sense. So they never want to show the absolute massive extreme um, because it starts to get in the way and they don't want to write a narrative where it massively gets in the way. Uh, but they also kind of want it to be dramatic. Um, and you see it particularly in things where, in a lot of teen sort of supernatural stuff, where they'll have chronic illnesses like asthma. Um, the character will have that and then uh, Teen Wolf is a, is a prime example of this. Scott has asthma. Um, he needs his inhaler quite often. Then he becomes a werewolf and the asthma disappears. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose I can kind of see it with a werewolf because your entire physiology has kind of changed, hasn't it? Yeah, I know. But it's, and again, it's not a case of me saying, therefore it's bad, but it's this, it's this whole thing of, of just an example of how they kind of do that in the, well, we just kind of get rid of all of that. Uh, we yeah. sort of change all of that, and I'm, and um, you can kind of make it make biolo biological sense, but there are examples where it, it, it kind of just becomes a strange wish fulfillment where you wanted your character to be sympathetic, um, but then you don't actually want to write someone who's got a kind of a chronic illness um, that's going to get in the way of, of the narrative that you wanted to write. You know yeah. what we need? We need someone whose asthma is triggered by uh, dog dandruff who then turns into a werewolf and has a massive asthma well, they're allergic to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> that that's, actually, that's a great idea. And like, they can never actually become the werewolf because it's like, oh, no, no, like I can turn into a werewolf. But the problem is... So, so actually, someone on um, TikTok did a great example of it. Uh, it was a deaf, um, a deaf person, and they were saying the problem with being a deaf vampire is that I cannot turn into a bat. Well, I can turn into a bat, but and then you just see the like this toy bat go flying across the room and smacking into the wall, and it goes back to the deaf person. They just go echolocation is a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, yeah, okay, I was going to say with the, the degree thing, um, it's also the same with wheelchairs because people, often writers, and I mean anyone displaying uh, people who need a wheelchair, the assumption is always that they must be paralysed. Mm. And there's hardly ever that degree of, well, lots of people need a wheelchair, they can still walk a little bit, and sometimes mm. they can walk quite a lot on a good day, but they yeah. still might need a wheelchair to say go out in public or go to the shops and yeah. it's very rarely de depicted well yeah. they'll, they'll show people like uh, this is the, the wheelchair thing for me was that as i said I, there was a point where i needed a wheelchair and i could get around on crutches for the most part but getting around on crutches long distance was very difficult and if you're on crutches because i'd need two at the time you can't carry anything you can't really you know do do anything you know it's impossible like if you want to go make a cup of tea or something like that or, ca or carry a plate into another room or even to cook and things like that um it's very very hard so you might just have someone who's in a wheelchair some of the time so that they can actually do other tasks 
um, or because they can't be on because it's exhausting being on being on crutches for long times. It's the way I, I kind of pointed out is if you can do a handstand right. Uh, perhaps you can do a handstand for a short period of time. Perhaps someone can actually be out of a wheelchair for a short period of time. Um, but if you then ask someone to do a handstand all day, every day, and get along with tasks, they might suddenly find that it's a little bit more difficult. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. Forgetting to assess, you know, the spoon cost. So everyone's <laughs> probably heard the whole "I have X number of spoons. This is what I have to spend my spoons on" kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's very definitely an issue for chronic illness, and it certainly is for chronic pain because you, you're using you have you start off with fewer spoons than your average person anyway. Mm. and the, the cost for each activity is slightly higher. So um, that is definitely something that needs to be considered when including a chronically ill character, I think. Yeah. It's, it's always, you, you kind of have a chronically ill character, and then um, can you imagine that they've got their big battle, you know, day ahead, and then for some reason that day just happens to be a massive pain day. They've got less spoons than usual. And you're like, really? Today of all days? And you're kind of like, well, it sort of makes sense because you've been sort of exerting yourself or borrowing spoons in the run-up um, and now you've kind of got none left for the sort of the grand finale. Funny you should say that because in the fifth Wildest Investigations book, the kind of grand finale bit uh, is one where Yania literally has nothing left and she's going, well, do I let this person die because I not sure I can save him mm. or do I try anyway and risk injuring myself really badly and and possibly dying in the process yeah yeah, yeah absolutely um, and I suppose that it sort of taps into another pet minor pet peeve of mine which is you can solve it all with positive thinking um, honestly you can solve an awful lot with positive thinking but um, a chronic illness is not usually one of them. I mean, you can make your outlook around it better. You mm. can find better management strategies, maybe. But making it go away by thinking positively is not. I've personally found something that works. I remember as a child, I used to think that, you know, if I was injured or something, I would just push through it. And generally, I would. And it was when I got to, I think, seven that the headaches really started. Um, of course, I didn't really get I, I didn't really get taken to the doctor over the whole thing until I was about fourteen. When it was a case of, yeah, you're not just having headaches; you seem to be sort of blanking out of reality entirely. Mm. <laughs> We're not sure what's going on. And then I didn't really get a diagnosis until I was twenty-two, and it was an absolute nightmare to get one anyway because no one wants to touch temporal lobe epilepsy for some reason. Mm. And it's just, it was the whole sort of that whole time I'd been pushing myself forwards. And it, it took really getting felled by something to make me realise that actually, no, you can't just think your way through something. It doesn't work. Eventually, it will catch up with you. Yeah. And, and that is the thing. You can. It is the eventually. In short bursts, you can push yourself beyond your limits. Everybody can, um, usually because of adrenaline or stuff like that. That doesn't mean, therefore, that there aren't consequences of that. There are always consequences, even if you are fully physically abled you know and don't have a chronic illness and you push yourself past your body's limits which you can do in times of emergency there are consequences to that there always are um which are felt you know the following day and with chronic illness there might be occasions where you do push yourself um because you have to yeah but it, it you know the debt comes in <laughs> 
and it comes in many times worse than if you were healthy. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, okay, I, I think uh, two two final points on this one. So, not making illness affect the plot at all. Um, that I would say that's a no no in the sense of it should. If you have a chronic illness or whatever, then it should be affecting the character. We should be depicting it. You know, you don't, it doesn't have to be there present on the page all the time, but you can't mm -hmm. mention it in one paragraph and never mention it again. We shouldn't. Um, but on the other hand, it can't be the entirety of the character. So it can't be the only plot point that's being followed, unless you are literally writing about that chronic illness, of course. But we're assuming you're writing fantasy or science fiction or something. Yeah. Um, with the making the illness the only thing about the character, you do kind of get that whole, oh, well, the illness is actually their superpower. <laughs> yeah, the, the illness is their superpower. Do you know, I've seen this in a lot of young adult fiction. Well, I don't really read so much young adult fantasy anymore, but certainly mm. young, young adult fantasy where for a while there, um, everybody was making their characters deaf, mm. which is fine, but then they weren't giving them a personality. And it was incredibly frustrating to read um so it was kind of i think it was a case of why they were picking um deafness specifically was i i don't know i'm not really plugged into sort of phantoms and stuff enough to know if that was kind of the cause du jour or something at the time but the cynical part of me suggests that maybe that was part of it yeah the the whole superpower thing um and sorry i don't want to go on for too long but the whole superpower thing kind of also interests me because on the one side i can kind of understand basically people saying well, this is something which, you know, bothers me or bothers other people. Um, we actually want to to spin it into something positive instead or to say, actually, this isn't just something which is taken away from someone. It's given them something. I can understand that the premise behind it, the idea um, that kind of sort of adds to it. And you see it like Rick Riordan's, um, obviously, uh, the Olymp not the Olympians, um, his, his Percy Jackson books, he kind of explains uh, dyslexia and learning abilities away with a lot of the half um, uh, the half bloods because their brains are actually wired to be reading Greek instead. Um, and they don't then lose that, you know, it's just that they suddenly find that they can read Greek and sort of Roman, I think, instead much easier. And you might turn around and say, okay, well, we're just kind of deciding, oh, well, let's just make that into something else and, and not acknowledge it. But he was doing it literally for his dyslexic child who was really struggling and who he wanted to he wanted it to be something where they weren't looking at it with shame or being embarrassed but that they had something cool to associate with it so sometimes you have this very well-meaning thing and sometimes actually that's a very positive thing as well um the problem comes i think when it becomes the the chronic illness is the superpower uh, and it's based on the idea that that is the only thing that makes it acceptable. Yeah. Um. Okay, um, final point on this bit is uh, the tragedy porn, and uh, that's one that really does kind of, you know, bug me, I guess. It's it's the, you get this, be this idea of a beautiful tableau of gorgeous people suffering and or dying, um, mm. and you know, just looking at it like that, that's that's kind of icky. Um, it does seem to be a fandom issue, but you know, you also see it in another in other things as well. So I actually really enjoyed the book, The Fault in Our Stars, and I did feel that um, Green did in fact sort of tackle the, 
the not all the not great issues around cancer and the fact that it might not actually be the cancer that kills you it might be a complication that you you can there's one part where i think hazel is in so much pain she cannot stop screaming and it's because her lung has collapsed mm. as part because of you know the treatment she'd had some sort of embolism um and then it talks about how um, Augustus is kind of like towards the end Hazel still loves him and everything and he still loves her but he is not himself he's in a lot of pain mm. um, so he's just you know she's she's saying you know there were good days and bad days and then there got to be more bad days than good days right up until the very end and it, it's just a case of no this this was not a beautiful tragedy this was this is something that was really awful and it's it's worse than you're imagining it based on sort of the Hollywood version of it and of course they made the film and they made the Hollywood version of it and you've got these two attractive young people dying beautifully of cancer yeah um, though I mean I think even in the film they did show that like um his death wasn't particularly beautiful and he wasn't you know it wasn't this brave sort of quiet death where he was just sort of lying in a bed it was painful it was awful um you know and I think probably the reason that John Green actually really succeeded in this was that he basically said, yes, cancer does have a very ugly side. It's There's, there's no dying beautifully. Um, there's all the associated horrors, you know, and, and the, the gross things that we don't want to think about, which is that people who are in pain are sometimes not particularly nice. So, and sometimes it can be very difficult to love someone who is in a lot of pain um, because it's very, it's hard and sometimes they're, they're quite cruel to you. Um, but there was still love, they still loved each other, it was just a very difficult time. And I think the reason that he succeeded in that was that he actually spent a lot of time with teenagers who had cancer, and he wanted to tell a story for them, about them, um, which is why I think that he manages to tiptoe that line. Yeah, I, I do, I agree. Um, I do feel they prettied it up for the film because that's generally yeah. what happens. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think there are a lot of sort of knockoff Fault in Our Stars type books out there that mm. are kind of like, well, I don't like this bit. This this isn't a pretty piece of the narrative, so I'm just going to dial this back. And you know, everyone should do what they want with their own books. But there there are times when it's like, <laughs> I don't know. It's difficult, isn't it? It's like, how much do you owe somebody? Um, an accurate representation of something and how much of it has to be kind of in line with your vision for a narrative and I think that there is a middle ground there I guess. Yeah it, it's I think the problem is that ultimately you can say well I just want to tell the story because I think it would be a good story um, but what is the reality of what you're telling what's the message that you're sending and unfortunately one of the very one of the messages that a lot of people send with these kinds of tales is that People who are disabled, people who do have chronic illness, are better off dead. Yeah. Um, which is, weirdly enough, not a very good narrative. Yeah, well, I mean, that was in um, <clears throat> Jojo Moy's Me Before You. Yeah. yeah. And um, she re received a lot of backlash for that yeah. storyline. And the thing yeah, is, like, you did. might... Sorry. No, 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 I was just agreeing with Laura, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you might very well have, there are people who have had disabilities, you know, who have said, actually, I do want to be euthanized and I want to have that, I want to have that choice because I'm in pain and I don't want to live with it anymore. 
that I don't think it's wrong to say you can't have that type of story because the the fact is that that is the reality for some people or people who have chronic illnesses and saying actually I don't want to keep going with this um but the way that it's popularized it kind of is presented as this is the only you know th this is the only way that it's shown we never have a happy end happy ever after for people who have um who have chronic illness because the happy ever after they they believe it can't exist because you know, a happy ever after has to be perfect. And if you've got a chronic illness, life is never going to be 100% perfect. There's always going to be difficulties. But then the fact of the matter is, is that there's no happy ever after because life is always going to have difficulties regardless. Um, yeah, or but, you yeah. have to, um, you know, you have to overcome your chronic illness to find yeah. meaning in your life. Otherwise, you will never be happy, which yeah. is not realistic because you've got good days and you've got bad days. And Yes, yeah. if you've got chronic pain, you can separate the pain from the suffering and, and deal with it. But ultimately, you either live your life with the chronic illness or you don't. But it's up to you to make make of your life what you will within the limitations of what you've got. And there's no suddenly coming to terms with it and finding a way to overcome it mentally is not the key to happiness and I think that's a dangerous thing to depict in fiction like yeah but dis yeah. disabled people have to overcome their disability yeah though it would be absolutely fine to have a story where someone actually does come to terms with the you know with a disability or, or or a chronic illness that they did have that they couldn't come to terms with or which they thought of themselves lesser because of it and mm. finally they they sort of make peace with it and go well some days will be b bad some days will be good but I can I'm I'm actually not going to limit myself as a human being by this thing or let myself be seen as less you can have that narrative but for some reason people have to tag on the and then suddenly the curse was lifted and they were no longer chronically ill yeah yeah, and I also I, think it would be really interesting to see a narrative where someone starts off with the mindset of, oh, I have to fix this chronic ill person that I love, and for them mm. to actually come to terms with the fact that that person doesn't necessarily need fixing, and they just need to be loved just like anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, some other things to consider. So we'll go through this fairly quickly because we're, we're running a little bit here. This is very <laughs> interesting. Though. Um, right. Medication is not the enemy, um, and it should be depicted responsibly, which includes depicting risks if necessary as well. So something that, that I had the weirdest conversation with my mother about this, and she didn't actually realise that I had head pain like all the time, mm -hmm. and I didn't really bring it up um, until we had a bit of a chat about it recently. And she was sort of like, well, can't you take something for it? And I said, well, I can. Um, and if it's the milder version, if it's bad enough, then yeah, it, it might give me a few hours of not being in pain, etc. But anything that will really wipe it out completely tends to be of the addictive variety. So I'm not going to keep taking things with, say, for example, opiates in them, because, I mean, just look at America's opiate crisis, for example. I don't want to join that. I mean, over here, for example, uh, doctors generally don't try uh, to push for example, opiates on you straight away, they'll mm. suggest, I mean, I think even when I broke my arm, I was in hospital and they offered me paracetamol. And certainly when I worked in accident and emergency, the first thing you offered somebody was paracetamol, you didn't offer anything stronger. Mm. With the medication thing, for chronic pain sufferers, one of the things that they have to consider is, is, not, is when to take painkillers and when to sort of work around the pain, because 
you don't want to be taking painkillers all the time. If you're constantly having to pop painkillers, eventually they become ineffective and you have to take stronger and stronger and stronger ones or higher and higher doses. Not to, not then, to mention the, the difficulties that it can cause in, with your liver, with your kidneys, etc. Yeah. Like when we talk about overdosing from pain medication, people tend to think of, oh, you take lots all in one go. No, it, there's a reason why on packets of medication they say do not take for longer than, you know, if you must take for longer than three days or etc. Consult your doctor because if you're taking consistently having to take medication, even over the counter, sort of paracetamol, aspirin, etc. Um, every single day, uh, you are, you're going to destroy your organs, you're going to destroy your body, you can't do that. So what's the alternative? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you also need to be careful about things like driving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you can't, uh, you can't drive on high opiates, or you shouldn't. You absolutely you die or kill someone. No, so I mean, it's kind of um, something that kind of bugged me in, in the Game of Thrones universe is the fact that whenever anybody's got any sort of affliction, it's a case of ah, milk of the poppy, and like, so you're giving them opium. You don't want to try some willow bark tea first, <laughs> straight for the opium every single time. Yeah, I mean, it's telling in uh, Roots of Corruption actually, Lady Bergama doesn't get out the, the yeah, juice of the poppy for Yania until she's so severely injured that she can't move her hands until then yeah. it's been kind of willow bark tea with some added things and that's absolutely yeah. fine they also this is the, the the side thing of the medication is that sometimes medication can involve some kind of form of you know physical uh, therapy and things like that and it's this weird thing of have you tried yoga um <laughs> it's like no but there is something to be said about there are you know certain things you know, massages um certain treatments which aren't literally medicinal uh you know hydrotherapy um and you know physical therapy or certain exercises and things like that which are can also help with managing chronic pain and uh, chronic illness. That's just a fact of life. Um, it's not as simple as just taking up yoga, however, and it will be by case by case basis. Um, so when they kind of talk about medication, when they do go straight to the have some opium, I'm like, okay, can we, yeah. let's look at some other things. Yeah. Ironically, that... my doctors have told me that I'm never allowed to do yoga because it has the potential to just pop something straight out. But okay. with Pilates, it's part of my pain management program yeah. because it's much gentler and it focused on the movement instead of going into a pose and holding yeah. it because I've got my range of movement is so much greater than normal person. I don't know what, what is a normal pose. So mm. I hyperextend my shoulders, for instance, by a mile. Yeah. And that's yeah. not really healthy. No. But I don't know that unless I, I've been told what the normal range of movement is and then I can stick with it. But yoga would not be good for me. No. Yeah. Okay, um, this is one that I've, I've definitely touched on this myself in the book, Betwixt and Between, and I think it's worth... I, I want to say it just because I don't, I've never heard anybody else really tackle this this way is that if you are a chronic pain sufferer, 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 sometimes the pain just literally says no. And it might just mean that it could be something you really want to do, but you just physically can't do it right then. So it can be mm. simple. Or it can be someone presents you with a decision. It can be a sim simple decision. It can be, shall we have X or Y for dinner? Or mm. it can be something like, for example, I would like us to move in together. What do you think? And they get you on a bad pain day. And yeah. even if it's something you really want to do, you say no, because 
at the moment you're in a bad paying day but you can manage but there's always the chance it could get worse so the status quo is preferable to trying anything else at that precise moment in time <laughs> what yeah. you really probably should be saying is um can't answer that right now can i get back to you in a couple of days time but it's almost impossible to say that when you're right in the middle of it yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> it's the reality that um yeah when when you're kind of suddenly living in in a a space mentally which is just get through the next few minutes you know take it minutes at a time um people asking about sort of plans for the you know you kind of just want to say no everything has to stop otherwise i just have to exist in this in this particular space now and do nothing um and it, it it does actually kind of you can end up saying things you regret because of that or snapping or or yeah um, or things like that when it's not actually because of any hard feelings or cruel feelings or intention of hurting but because you are just so desperately just trying to cling on to the single moment that you are currently living in and getting in getting step by step through it yeah yeah definitely so um yeah laura's obviously mentioned good days and bad days which is yeah absolutely mm -hmm. um, and it's something you should consider for your characters as well um and the whole point of a chronic illness or not the whole point but the whole point about managing a chronic illness is that you come up with coping strategies you know that work for you um some people might choose to forego medication for whatever reason and they've probably got good reasons for it um or they may not have access to it which means they've they've got to try something else uh, which sort of loops back to um, Yania's choice to live in old London for example or part yeah of because it. she could get pain medication yeah exactly um, and chronic illness sufferers tend to become expert planners because you have to you can't just <laughs> you can't just I'm gonna high off into the hills now with no thought about what time I'm coming back or carrying anything with me um, it, it's not practical to do that yeah, it's it's also weirdly I think why you kind of get this sort of element of, of chronic ill people who have chronic uh, chronic illness sort of being seen as being less sociable, particularly if, if it's sort of pain where you basically go, okay, well, um, I can't come to sort of the morning, I can't come to the evening event, but I'll see you a little bit in the afternoon, but I will have to get home by a certain time, or oh uh, no, I can't really see such and such on Tuesday and then see you on Wednesday. Um, and it, it's this idea that, okay, if I'm on a good day, I could be doing all of these things and that won't be a problem. But if it's a bad day, I've kind of got to think about the fact that I might be so wiped out by one event, I have to be in bed for two days afterwards. Yeah, um, or um, in my case, it's alcohol. I <laughs> used to really, in fact, I'm, I'm so envious of Yania every time she, she gets a, a lovely glass of smoky whiskey. So it used to be my tipple of choice and I am not allowed to drink it anymore. It will, it's like instant seizure juice for me. So it's kind of like, bye-bye, whiskey. Alas, Scottish and Irish heritage. Never mind that, I can't, I can't drink it. So I'm not sort of vicariously enjoying it when I'm reading the Wild Investigations books. And it's a pain, but it's simple things like, if I have a drink on a Friday night, I cannot then have a drink on a Saturday night as well. That's bad. In theory, yeah. I'm not really supposed to have anything at all, but you can actually have a, the odd couple of glasses of wine as long as you're, you're, you're moderate. But it's, it's a medication and chronic illness thing. So, um, yeah, it's the whole, are you being antisocial? It's like, no, I literally cannot drink it unless you want to deal with the consequences. 
Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's the same with food. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you've got medication, particularly if you're taking opiates or uh, non steroidal anti inflammatories, you, you have to take them with food. Yeah. And often they cause nausea, so you have to think about what you're going to eat. And you're constantly keeping track of time to make sure that you take your doses on time or you're not taking them too close together. And, and so it's a constant management. You have to kind of manage all parts of your life. It's micromanaging yeah. everything. Then they wonder why we've got control issues. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, I mean, speaking of food as well, of course, um, sometimes when we talk about sort of chronic illnesses, we don't want to think about the the. the the kind of the ickier ones, you know, the ones that call, cause bowel problems, the ones that cause vomiting or, or discomfort or stuff like that. Um, and so often uh, there, because of course there's this kind of this snobbery with having to have very sort of specific requests, um, you know, when it comes to like a restaurant or stuff like that saying, oh no, no, uh, no, I can't have any wheat. I'm totally allergic to wheat. And, and it's, you know, they have this whole joke of, no, well, someone's just lying because they're, you know, um, they're being a, they're being a sort of a drama queen or on some kind of diet. It's like, and even if that was the case, it's none of your damn business. Um, but you see, I remember seeing someone talk about the fact they said, oh, well, well, I work in a cinema and every time some young girl comes up and asks for a diet Coke, I just give them a full fat one. And you're thinking if they had diabetes, you could kill them. Yeah. You know, you don't get to sort of have it, but it was, there's this whole kind of snobby, snobbiness that comes along with it, unless you say specifically that you're allergic. So for example, there are certain foods I cannot eat because they will cause me to be in a lot of pain or to be physically sick. That's just the reality of it. I don't have an allergy of them. It's just that they specifically flare up the problems that I do have. So rather than, I, I don't want to have to explain that every time um, I kind of go to a restaurant or anything like that. So I'll just say, I'm allergic to X. Um, so please don't include that in your food. Um, you know, and it, it, people then kind of, you do need to constantly thinking, be thinking about food um, and going out and what's the risk, for example, if you go to someone's house, you know, and they're serving up and suddenly you find that they've used a lot of this particular thing and also sometimes with certain foods you can be absolutely fine with it one day and then another day you've already you've kind of got a disturbance or something like that and suddenly um you know immediately that if you eat that it's going to cause a problem etc yeah so management and the kind of fear that goes along with it as well definitely okay um final final point really for this other things to think about is that you know, people who suffer from a chronic illness or a disability of some kind, um, not that they're full people, but which means that in the same way that other people are, they will have flaws and less less good points about their characters, or they might genuinely be real assholes. Um, mm. You know, if you're thinking about this in character terms. Um, and I suppose, you know, it, it could be difficult to balance that. Um, but there are, and there are, I will say this, people in real life who um, kind of actually use their chronic illness in order to gain, I want to say, perks. And I'll give you an example of what exactly I'm talking about. Um, I read Jeanette McCurdy's biography, I'm Glad My Mom Died Recently. Her mother spent her in Jeanette's entire childhood, I mean, her mother was diagnosed with breast cancer very early in her life, and she had a double mastectomy mm. and chemo and everything and she went into remission for years and years and years and um, 
but she used that cancer diagnosis every time anybody got even slightly in her way. In the end, it became one of the things she used to control her children, to make her children do what she wanted them to do. Um, if she felt she had to wait too long at a restaurant, she'd bring up the cancer diagnosis. And people just got out of the way. And it went all mm. the way up to when she was pushing her daughter into acting and going through Hollywood and stuff. She'd get them to skip cues and things for auditions because of her cancer diagnosis from X number of years before. Um, so, no, I'm, obviously I'm not trying to conflate being an arsehole with, with a, a disability or a chronic illness. But let's just say that there are arseholes out there who, if they happen to have a chronic illness, um, may use it in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, and what people tend to do is they'll tend to be they'll tend to just have people faking a chronic illness or faking something in order to kind of get their own way because they're so afraid of depicting anyone with a chronic illness or disability as a bad person, um, having kind of got a full one eighty where they they basically just did that all the time. Instead, they're suddenly yeah. like, oh, we can't possibly have that, and it's like, no, um, a person who has a chronic illness is just a person who happens to have a chronic illness. Um, they can be good or bad. Um, I mean, I'm despite not. I'm it, not so. Yeah, I'm not advocating for the whole um, disabled or chronically ill villain trope. Yeah. Because I think that was definitely done to death, sort of in the 80s and 90s. But I, yeah. I do think that it it's just an aspect of somebody's character or personality. It's not like the whole of it. So they don't have to be little saints either, because that's also really patronising. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's like Penny in Big Bang Theory says at one point, oh, she can't be a gold digger, she's deaf. And you think, that's not yeah. Like yeah. There's, there's a fantastic film called um, Les Intouchables. Um, it's, a French, it's, it's a French film based on an actual, uh, an actual guy. Um, and I think they did an American version of it, um, but I do recommend watching the French version of it. Um, and in it, one of the characters, um, as I said, it's based on a true story, one of the characters is... Um, paralyzed uh, and of course this paralysis has resulted in a lot of other sort of chronic illnesses which have started to take effect um, you know as as complications of the injury that he received and he basically hires someone who can sort of help him sort of get around and stuff like that and it's kind of their sort of adventures together and how they get on and there's this one bit where they're speeding because they're they're trying to go and see a girl you know in time or something like that it, it's like for a Monday it's a romantic reason or something like that and they get stopped by the police and this character um who's very disabled sort of starts to kind of present with sort of difficulty breathing or stuff like that and and the other one who's kind of who's helping him is just like saying to the policeman of course I'm rushing I'm trying to get into the hospital can't you see he's very seriously ill and of course the policeman's like oh of course you keep going um and it's the case where you have these characters who are ultimately good um and ultimately likable but it's still a case where they definitely used his illnesses and stuff like that to get away with things yeah and it's based on a true story um it's very worth watching by the way if anyone hasn't watched it um so Shall we actually kind of have a look at maybe just very quickly a few examples of where I, it was done right and where it was done wrong? Yeah, I mean, I think we've gone through most of them during the course of the yeah. discussion, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, L looking, at, looking at the list I've put down. So unless you've got any others that you want to add. 
I've no. got one that I would like to add. Um, yeah. <clears throat> it's a slightly different chronic illness, but uh, John Scales' Lock-In. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's a book where there's been a pandemic that has caused some people to get locked into their body, but their minds are perfectly fine. And the society has basically found a way to communicate with them and then get them onto this virtual reality and finally give them personal robots so they've got android bodies um, oh, and the main yeah, character is a, I think it's, it's an FBI agent who who joins the bureau and then they're solving crimes but he's in an android suit the whole time and it, it, it's got all the complications of, of from that because his body is somewhere else and actually someone is constantly having to he's in this cradle thing and it, it needs to be fed and obviously cleaned and and it's very very vulnerable there, you know, if someone was to come after him. Yeah. Mm. And it's a really interesting look at uh, a society post-pandemic and how the society is adjusted and the kind of tensions with within these new people who, who've joined the society. But they're seen as slightly removed from the healthy people. So it's definitely worth reading. Uh, I listened to the audiobook because Will Wheaton narrated it and I love him. It's brilliant, but it's a really good book, and I, I listened to it during pandemic, which made it all the more interesting. Hmm. Because yeah. at the end, it's got a little bit about how about the pandemic and and how the world reacted to it, and I just kind of found it amusing during the current pandemic. Okay, yeah, that's definitely. actually really interesting. Um, well, we have actually kind of. Uh, got to the end um, of our episode there. We have everyone, but it was inc incredibly engaging, very, very interesting. Um, before we go, uh, Laura, is there anything you'd like to sort of to add? And can you, would you be able to tell, again, our, our listeners uh, where they can find your book and where they can find you online or anything like that at all? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm there as L Larks Writer uh, or Instagram as Laura Larks Writer. My books are published by Louise Walters Books. Uh, if you get them through her website, uh, there's extra bonus stories and and things that come with it, but they're available everywhere. Uh, okay. And yeah, Wildest Hunger will, will be published on 31st of October. So I think by the time this episode airs, it will be available everywhere. The audiobook is forthcoming. I'm not Ooh. sure uh, where we are with it. They changed the narrator. So I think it might be slightly delayed, but I'm very excited to, to, to hear it. And the audiobook will also include the doves in the dining room. So it's essentially two stories in one. Oh, I really uh, enjoyed the doves in the dining room as well. Sorry, I meant to say that it's earlier. It's basically just wish heart fluff, isn't it? I, I had fun <laughs> with that. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, you know my weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> Mine too. Um, I think, the, yeah, the only thing I kind of just wanted to say is that I get uh, a lot of comments particularly on Twitter about chronic, Ill chronic illness rep and how well it's done in my series and obviously I love that because I, I love it when readers tell me that they feel seen when they're reading my book but ultimately I would love it if we could get to a point where there was no need to praise me for the chronic illness rep but that became a mainstream thing where it yeah. was just as given as any other kind of representation now, which is getting so much better. And wouldn't it be nice to just see more normal people with chronic illnesses as as depicted as you know regular human beings 
albeit in a speculative fiction setting, rather than this kind of, oh my god, she's got chronic illness, and yet she manages to solve crimes. How awesome is that? Yeah, Yeah. despite of her Mm. chronic illness, she she all, because of her chronic illness, she can, she can, you know, uh, do you know? It's like the Ma- Matthew Murdoch thing. It's like because he he is blind, he can you know um, fight crime. It's like no, no. Um, because he was blind, he ended up meeting a person who helped him hone his senses um, and there and taught him to fight, which is why he can fight crime. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean to be honest, I, I can if I don't dislocate a hip by twisting my ankle, I can just keep walking because my ankles are so so floppy. And I don't see that I would need anything else to fight crime. So I'm all, all set. <laughs> okay. Well, um, obviously it's not going to surprise anybody that our um, Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week is, of course, uh, Wildest Hunger, um, which, uh, as Laura has said, is now available um, everywhere, but that you can actually uh, get bonus material on the um publisher website so please do check that out and uh, i'll say thank you very much for joining us laura thank you for having me again yeah it was great great to catch up we'll have to not leave it four years next time (laughs) (laughs) and on that note guys we'll say thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you guys next week yeah thanks and goodbye bye bye You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.